Welcome you out to another episode of the Lodestone Training and Consulting Podcast. I'm Jared Ross, and today it's just going to be me. We've been so busy with training and schedules and all over the place that I thought I'd take this time to record something. have no idea when this, this podcast is going to be going out, but it's something that's been on my mind for, for a little while. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about 10 different books that I've read and that have influenced me in in a lot of different ways. Um, this isn't a list of like the 10 books you need to read before before you die or the 10 most important books to read in your life. These really are just 10 different books that have had an impact and has been, been meaningful to me uh, throughout my life. I find that as I get busier and busier, I don't read nearly as much as I'd like to. And it's nice when I am able to make the time just to sit down and to, and to read. It's a whole different format than than listening or watching something or I think we spend way too much time with those uh, entertainment devices our our phones uh, and I, I know I I can't stand social media but I have to do it as as part of the business so I spend way too much time much more time than I'd like to on on social media so it's nice to be able to sit back and to and to read and to exercise my mind and who knows, in the not-too-distant future, if uh, things keep getting crazier in the world, who knows what might might happen. We might, uh, well, <laughs> you don't have to be a, a, a crazy wingnut anymore just to look at the headlines and see what's going around in our country as well in the world to think that things get very uh, interesting in the not-too-distant future. So you might not have the luxury of being able to, to watch TV or, or look at your phone. You just might be stuck right, with the only form of a of entertainment slash education or whatever is is picking up an old school book. So even though my family, my, my wife and I and, and all of our kids, even though we have a lot of stuff digitally and we're very engaged with our, our computers and stuff online, it's a great resource that we use, we still over the years, we have amassed a fairly large and varied uh, library of, of books. So uh, we're in the middle of a move as I'm recording this podcast and we have so many books and so many bookshelves. It's, it's even staggering. I knew we had a lot, but as we're packing butt books and, and, you know, packing them in the boxes and, and whatnot, I'm just, I'm amazed at, at the amount of, uh, of books that we have. And we're reluctant to, to throw them out. If they've served their usefulness, if their pages are worn, if they're, you know, falling apart, yeah, we'll, we'll chuck them, but we're just reluctant to, to get rid of those, those books to make sure that we have them and, and preserved and, and, and for the future. So with that said, let me, uh, let me get going to, to the first book I want to talk about. Now with these books, I'm not starting in any kind of a way of like, this is, you know, the, the worst to the best or, or, or our importance other than the very last one, which is probably the most important book. Uh, everything else is just kind of, kind of random. So the first book that I have read and that's been fairly meaningful to me that uh, I highly recommend any of you reading. And that's that book is called The Real George Washington. And it is written by J.A. Perry. You can get it on Amazon. Shoot. Um, 
if you go to our website, and I think it's under information, not in the briefing room, but I think it's under info, we have a suggested reading list. And you can go on that, and there's a lot of different books and a lot of on a lot of different subjects. And we have links there. We've gone through and linked it. So I, I know you can go to our website, and you can hit the link on this book, and then that will take you to... Uh, to places where you can purchase it, not from us, but but from but from the source. But this book, the real George Washington, is is phenomenal. There's so much history and, and biographies and and you know half truths and and you know stuff written with specific agendas about the founding of this country, about George Washington, about the Revolutionary War, and so many revisionist stuff. But what's really nice about this book is it is has a lot of, you know, of course, his biography and going through his life and how he really, if it wasn't for George Washington, we would not have the United States of America as, as we have it, as certainly as it was intended. It, they wouldn't have survived. He really was the key personality, the key figure that led us and helped us win the Revolutionary War. He then presided over the Constitutional Convention. That wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have had the Great Compromise. We wouldn't that the whole the Constitution would not have been written or formed had he not been uh, there chairing that that committee and overseeing that. And then, of course, him being the first president, he set the stage and he set the standard, only serving two terms, refusing to be made king, and and whatnot. And so, what's really cool about this book, and it's nine hundred plus pages long is it goes through a very good biography of his life. All of his mistakes, all of his learning experiences as a young man, as a surveyor during the French and Indian War, and then trying to uh, uh, run Mount Vernon, all his you know trials, his successes, his failures as a young man, then leading up to the revolution, things that he did in the revolution, how he, uh, you know, what he sacrificed, what he suffered, how he led. And, you know, a good biography of all these phases and these moments in his life and that's good in of itself and it's something worthy that that we should all read we all need to know more history we all need to you know to, to understand where we came from and what foundation was laid and, and those correct principles that that they helped laid but then the second half of the book is actually then his writings and his lectures his speeches his correspondence. So not only do you get a really good biography of the man, but then you get a good, good glimpse of of his mind and where his heart was and what his thoughts were, what his opinions were. Uh, and that's that's invaluable. Um, I was texting I was texting a friend of mine earlier uh, this past week and he was He's getting some overtime in, and he was providing security for a national sports event. So I texted him and said, hey, how's the game going? And his response was classic. He said, eh, you know, bread and circuses. And I really appreciated that because if that doesn't mean anything to you, then okay. But it meant something to me because I know the history behind that statement, and I know what his thought was and how he was, you know, what he was referring to. And if you don't know, and I know some of you don't know, and others of you are like, of course we, we understand what he meant by that. Um, but those who don't know, research that. Find out what he meant by that. 
we need to be educated. We need to know where we came from. We need to understand history. If we, you know, to say the cliche, if you don't know history, then you're going to be doomed to repeat it. So this book is, is phenomenal at that. I appreciated George Washington before I came away after reading this book, just thoroughly uh, impressed isn't even the right word. Just, I thank God for, for this man and for what he did. And if it wasn't for him, we would have gone off track. We might have never even been on track if it hadn't been for him, but we would have gone off, off track a long time ago if it wasn't for his example and for his leadership. So if you haven't read that book, that's one I, I, I highly suggest. You'll, you'll learn a lot from that and definitely come away a more appreciative of, of the man and, and of his sacrifice. All right, so the next book, and again, this is in no real order. I'm just, it's just going down this list as I was, you know, wanting to do this podcast and thinking about what, what are some good books that have influenced me. So the next one we've talked about, mentioned a couple of different times on the podcast, though not for a while, and that's Starship Troopers. And Starship Troopers by Heinlein, one of the best books that I, I've ever read and probably the, the best book of, uh, of, of fiction that, well, one of the best books of fiction that, that, that I've read. And if you've seen the movie, the movie's got nothing to do with the book. Some of the characters have the same name, but really doesn't even resemble each other. Uh, the book, I think, is really good for you know taking this fictitious, futuristic world with, a, you know, we're in space and, and you've got power armor and you're fighting alien insects and, and, and whatnot. That's just, that's just the setting. But really... It does a very good job of telling the tale of a young man, of this individual who was just like anybody else, and then going through basic training, and then some of the, the changes and the struggles and the thought process as he was going through basic training, and then experiencing combat, and then after experiencing combat, uh, then going and uh, to become an officer. And it's really this, this life journey, and all throughout the book is thrown in different ideas, different thoughts, different, uh, you know, philosophy. And one of the main ones from that is the idea of franchise or your, your, your right to vote and use different historical examples of some civilizations where you had to be a, only had to be a property. You had to own property in order to, to vote or other ones where you, only men could vote or, or whatever different systems. Some places, you know, you, civilizations you couldn't vote at all and 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 the thought or the idea here you know of course it's just a work of fiction but i think that there's a lot of truth to it in this fictitious futuristic world in order to vote you had to have served in some capacity and the idea there is you're not being forced you're not being compelled to serve but through that voluntary act of willing to put the whole the whole of society ahead of you, the individual, and that sacrifice where you're you're serving, whether it's a couple of years or twenty years or, or whatever, that act of of serving and the growth that comes from putting the rest of society or your your fellow men ahead of yours, and then the, the lessons that are learned from that, then those individuals are the ones who have the opportunity to vote. 
and then that that the idea there is that because you have sacrificed um, because you have been willing to put your life on the line uh, for for others then maybe that that franchise or maybe that that uh, ability to vote maybe you'll, you'll take that just a little a uh, little bit more serious of course you know we don't know it's a system that I don't think we've ever has ever been tried but in my mind something like that makes more sense than just oh you're you're this particular sex, you've got the right to vote. Oh, you own property, you have the right to vote. Or or even now where everyone in our society, if you're a U.S. citizen, shoot. Some places you don't even have to be a U.S. citizen or trying to make it that way. So you don't even have to be a citizen in order to, to vote in some capacity. But we have so many ignorant individuals who vote or those who don't vote. Um, it's just, just a, an interesting idea, an interesting concept. So I really appreciate that idea or that that concept of of limiting that vote in some capacity to those who have already sacrificed or put the the good of the whole uh, ahead of their selfish or their individual uh, desires or the individual uh, um, wants. And I really appreciate it too for for how it explains you know, why we fight. It's, 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 you know, what is your moral obligation as a citizen? Uh, why should you enact violence? Why should you, you know, why should one uh, stand up for what's right or protect the lives of, of your fellow man? And it does a really good job of, of explaining that. And, and it's a, it's a good enough book that I know the Marine Corps, at least they used to, they, they still uh, suggest that as, as they're reading for young Marines. And, not so much when I was in SF, because by then, uh, a lot of the guys that, who were on my teams and, and stuff, they were already pretty experienced, and they didn't need this book. Uh, but when I, I know when I was still in the 82nd Airborne, as soon as I got to be a specialist and I started getting some young privates in under me, I suggested this book. And I know a lot of them benefited from becoming into this military experience and the regiment that it was, and, uh, and, and it helped them make that 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 mental click or that, that mental adjustment. And it's, it's a phenomenal book. I, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend you reading it. And it's a very short read too. Not much to it as far as the length, just a lot of good ideas. And it's some, it's a book that I've read over and over again. And because I've changed as an individual, because I've gone from, you know, that, uh, young private to, uh, a young non-com in the 82nd, then going to SF, um, doing active duty, the National Guard SF, and then now that I'm out, you know, as I've changed and grown as a man and through life's experiences, reading that book from time to time, it's it's a different book, and I've gleaned uh, different information and, and new information uh, from it. It's it's a good book. Now, along with that, and I'm not going to count this as another book, but another one also by Heinlein that I would suggest. I'd suggest reading Starship Troopers first, but another very interesting one is The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, and that's... Again, it's another work of fiction set in the future with people living on the moon. And it's, again, that's just the, the setting. But it, it's an interesting idea, um, has a lot of different ideas about principles of unconventional warfare and, uh, and running an, an underground and uh, an auxiliary and, and, and stuff. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's, a, it's another good book. So I, I'll lump the two of those together. Those are both good reads. And I would suggest, if you haven't, you're picking those up. Again, Starship Troopers first, 
and then followed by a moon as a hearth mistress. You're, you won't be disappointed with that. All right, moving right along. All right, the next book. And I was exposed to this book as a young man, age of 21. Yeah, I think I was about 21. And this was Stephen R. Covey's The Seven Habits, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. What a what a great book. This one was definitely uh life-changing in reading this book. It's old, I think it's written in 1989. I didn't get it until I think I read it in 90, 94, maybe 95, somewhere around there. When I was 20, 21. And that's when I first read this book. And lots of you know, lots of very good information. And you know, what are these seven habits habits? First one is be proactive. Second is begin with the end in mind. Third is put first things first. Next one is think win-win. Next one is seek first to understand, then to be understood. The sixth habit is uh, synergize. And then the last is sharpen the axe. And I can't tell you how many times through life, whether in the military, doing things outside the military, definitely trying to be a small businessman and, and building things up, running classes, how I'm so thankful I read this book back then because I'll get stuck with something and then I'll think, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that habit. Um Maybe I should apply that principle here. Uh, one of the most important ones is the last one is, you know, sharpening the ax or sorry, sharpening the saw. And, and what does that mean? That means that we as individuals can work at something over and over and over again. You can have that guy who has that dull saw. That saw is not sharp at all. And he's just working himself to death trying to cut that tree down. Where if he would stop, step back for a second take a look at the situation and then sharpen the saw, go back to work and then you can make easy work of it. And doesn't that, can't you relate to that? I know I can plenty of times where I'm just working, 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 beating myself up, uh, working myself to the bone. When if I would take the time to stand back and look at the problem and make an adjustment, make a change, sharpen that saw and then go ahead and go at that problem again. It certainly makes things a little bit easier. Another really important one that uh, I've I've learned and has really helped me out as as a Green Beret, you know, working with other people, whether it's our military, foreign military personnel, you know, now as I'm teaching and training, working with other people, and that's seek first to understand, then to be understood. So many times in in disagreements or in arguments or in, you know, discussions when things aren't going anywhere. Um, it gets to the point where nobody's really listening. All you're doing is you just want to be heard and you're just trying to shout out or out argue the other person, but you're really not listening. So if you stop and you take the time to like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm not going to fight right now. I'm not going to try to voice my opinion. I just want to listen. I want to see, I want to understand what you're saying. And then usually as you, not usually, uh, but a lot of the times when you do that and you actually understand and you are giving respect to those individuals that you're having this conversation with. So now you can understand their point, their point of view. Maybe you do need to make a correction, but then what that will do 
often is as they are seeing that you're paying them that respect and you're sincerely, genuinely listening to what they have to say, it gives them pause and then they will allow themselves then to, to listen to you. And then the conversation can, can then proceed. Maybe you can come to a, to an agreement. Maybe you can, you know, make a decision. So that's, that's important. And that's one that I've tried to employ. The problem comes in when, you know, you as that individual, then you're seeking to understand, but the other side, they don't want to understand you at all. They just want to be heard and they just want to, you know, to keep on talking at you. Then, you know, well, it's time to walk away or, or, or go ahead and, and, and do something else. Try a different tact. One of the things, one of the examples that he used in in this book, and then after the book, I know I, I listened to some of his talks and lectures, so now I honestly can't remember if this was in the book itself or if this was uh, um, in one of the lectures by Covey that, that I've listened to. But it related an experience where he was on a, a, a subway. You know what? He was on mass transit. Now, I, I honestly can't think if he's on a subway or if he was on a... Uh, uh, a city bus is mass transit somewhat, some way. So he was on there and there were a lot of, I guess, professional types like him. And he said he was, you know, busy with his thoughts and he was, you know, concerned about his day and things he needed to do. And there was a stop. And then this man got on with about four or five, uh, children and they were mostly, uh, uh, young children, like maybe early teens on down. And Covey was saying that the kids were really out of control and they were loud, obnoxious, annoying people, uh, poking at people, just kind of bouncing around. And the father was just sitting there and he wasn't really paying much attention to his kids. So getting annoyed and finally, like, you know, thinking to himself, why don't you say something to your kids or discipline your kids or get your kids under control? He finally, out of annoyance, said something to the man and said, hey, uh, y- your kids are, are all all over the place. Can you, you know, get them under control? And then he said, the father said, yeah, yeah, I guess I should. We just came from the hospital and their mother just died. And I'm not sure what to do. So he said instantly, he went from one of like annoyance, why don't you do something about these unruly kids to now that he understood and saw what was going on in this man's life, saw that he had just lost his wife and these children just lost their mother, with that understanding, he had a little bit more compassion. And he said not only him, but there were other annoyed passengers who you know, were thinking the same thing, but he's just the one who vocalized it first, and now all of a sudden they were filled with compassion. So then the people then on this, again, bus train, I don't know, I forget, it was, it was Covey's one who's released this personal experience. He said then that they uh, started interacting with the kids and, you know, helping the kids to, to calm down and to, uh, and to be a little bit more under control and just now that they understood, their whole response, their whole outlook on everything was completely different and then they were trying to outreach as, as strangers could in that kind of a moment to... Uh, to help that father as he was obviously upset and obviously grieving and <laughs> who can blame him? He didn't know what to do at that moment. Um, so that's a very good book. And it, it's, these habits are things that I, I wish more people would, uh, would put into their life. 
especially when you're dealing with, with other people, whether it's business or personal or, or whatever kind of relationships, just showing a little bit more respect. You could certainly get a, you can go a lot further. You can get a lot more done um, by treating people with respect. Anyways, it's a great book. Glad I read it when I did. Uh, my only regret is I wish I would have read it earlier. Um, and I, again, with all these books, I, I highly recommend that one. All right, next book, A 5,000-Year Leap. This book was written by Cleon Skousen. It's another very good book. And the, the title of this book comes from the author's idea that we've had 5,000 years of real recorded history and not much has changed. You know, we still were cooking with fire. We were still basically living in, in, in huts, still basically, you know, living in, in wooden homes. Um, technology things really hadn't changed. Then all of a sudden we had this giant leap in culture and technology in uh, standard of living in longevity of life and and he attributes a lot of this with the start of the renaissance and then really when it when it took off with uh the founding of of this country with the first modern nation to have freedom so in this book he lists 28 ideas 28 principles that uh is established in the constitution and with these core truths these principles these are the things that have allowed us to have freedom that have allowed us to uh you know, grow and expand intellectually, expand in science, expand and grow in you know, everything. That that's these principles allowed the atmosphere, allowed the uh, um, the environment for us to go from horse-drawn wagons to so rapidly to steam engines, to locomotives, to cars, to you know, Kitty Hawk with a plane to within a couple decades, we had a man on the moon and just this rapid, rapid, rapid advancement that was allowed because of the freedom of thought, the freedom from uh, compulsion, uh, from overreaching government forms and just really created this environment so we could have the classical liberal freedom that, that the United States really was the first basin of um, in really in recorded history. So it's, it's a good book, a lot of neat ideas, a lot of good ideas, a lot of things that, that now I see as a society and that where all these freedoms are being encroached upon. And I'm not saying that's being encroached upon by the Democrats or the Republicans or, or whatever, but uh, quite honestly, it's being encroached upon by, by all of them who are trying to take away our freedom. And that's one of the neat things about this book is it's been branded by some, especially some on the left, as, you know, preposterous or, you know, whatever. Um, but really, these are core truths, like the Bill of Rights, that any liberty-loving person, whatever your supposed political background, but anyone who truly values freedom and liberty, we, we can agree on. And that's really what, what we need. We need to work together. We need to agree, not, you know, just name-calling and and taking away freedom. So anyways, good book. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I suspect you would too. 
There's a lot of, you know, to wrap that one up, there are a lot of good principles that this nation was founded on that we haven't been taught or not being taught or we've, as a nation, we've forgotten about. And it's good to go back to that core, to that truth, to that that beginning to see, oh, okay, that's that's what they meant. That's why where we're at, we're at. That's why uh, enacting this particular law or, or taking away this principle of, of liberty or freedom is, is wrong, is incorrect. You need to be educated. All right. Along with that, I'll jump right into another one that's political in nature. <clears throat> and you can get this small booklet. Shoot. I, if I recall correctly, I should have checked before I did this podcast. You can probably download a PDF version of it from our website. And that is The Proper Role of Government by the Honorable Ezra Taft Benson. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, lecture. And that's really what it was, was a talk. It was a lecture that he gave that then has been written down and recorded in a, in a booklet form. And this one really just cuts to, cuts to the core of, of, of what real liberty and what real freedom is. Uh, and here, this is the first time I ever read the analogy of, uh, of well, of, of farmers and horses. So, one of the main points of this book is that we have inalienable rights. Our rights are God-given rights. They come from a God. Or if that's not necessarily something that you believe in, if you don't believe in a God, then uh, you can also call them natural rights. Or these are rights that belong to all mankind simply because you live, you exist. You know, the right of um, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the inherent right of self-defense, the right to property, these things that, because you're alive, these are natural rights, natural laws. And another principle that he teaches in here is that the creature cannot ever become morally, cannot ever become more powerful than the creator. Meaning that the creature can't have any more rights or more power than the thing that that created it so he uses an example of a sheriff what is a sheriff um well everyone has the natural and the inherent right to self-defense you have the right to protect yourself to protect your property uh that's that's an inherent right so when you had a group of uh settlers who had this natural right as they were protecting themselves from from bandits from those outside the law it became very time-consuming. So what they did was, okay, there's five of us in this group, four of us are going to continue to farm, but the fifth one, we're going to uh, elect you as as the sheriff. So you're going to full-time be protecting. You're not doing anything, nor do you have any more rights or authority or power than we all collectively have. We just can't farm and stand vigilant, stand guard all at the same time. So... You're going to stand guard. You're going to be vigilant. You're the one who's going to be ready to protect us from those outside the law while we're going to continue to farm. So they're not giving that person, nor do they have the moral ability to give that person, that sheriff, any more authority, any more power than that that they already possess as they themselves with that natural right to, to protect themselves. So that, that seems pretty cut and dry. Well, then the problem comes with different philosophies who don't understand that, don't see that, don't recognize that, and then um, 
encroach upon that freedom. Another example that I learned from, from this uh, talk, shoot, and I read this thing. Thank goodness I read it when I was young. 16? Might have been a, uh, I, I know it was in high school when I read it. And again, talking about the, the farmers and, uh, and, and horses. So the example, as best as I can recall, although you certainly read it, he probably is much more uh, eloquent in, in uh, describing it. You have three farmers. One farmer doesn't have a horse. One farmer has one horse. And that's all he needs is one. One farmer has two horses, but he really only needs one. So in a constitutional republic or in a place where the rights of those of the individuals is, is guaranteed and protected, in an environment where natural rights aren't being encroached upon, if the farmer without a horse wanted the, far, you know, the horse from the farmer who has two, all he had to do was ask and farmer with two, he can say yes or he can say no. It's, it's his, it's his property. That makes sense. We can all understand. Now, the problem with quote unquote democracy or majority rule, now if you put that to a vote and you have farmer one, hey, I want that horse because I don't have one. So I'm going to vote to take it. You have farmer two who only has one, only needs one. Like, you know what? That's just not fair. Uh, that horse, he doesn't need two. He only needs one like me. So yeah, I'm going to vote to take that from him and I'm going to give it to, uh, to this guy. And then farmer three, of course, with his two horses, he votes no. But you have two versus uh, one. Two yeses, one no. So then in that democracy, quote unquote, then uh, the rights of those individuals aren't guaranteed aren't protected. So farmer two gets his horse stripped from him by the, the government, again, exercising power that it really should not have morally because that individual farmer doesn't have any right to go ahead and just take that horse when he wants to. So that's, you know, part of the, the failed logic of, of those types, those systems of government. And, you know, we're seeing it on, it's, it's on a massive scale. Uh, so it's, it's a good good read, good book, correct principles, correct principles of freedom, liberty. And if you haven't read it, uh, that is one that I know you can download the, the PDF off of our website. Again, I, if you haven't read it, you'd be uh, benefit from reading it. So that's a good one. All right. Let me go to another good book. I know we've talked about this a couple times on, uh, on the podcast. And this is Five Years to Freedom by Colonel uh, Nick Rowe. So he was a young Green Beret lieutenant. So he was the XO for his, uh, his ODA. Now, as we have things organized, it'd be the warrant officer. He'd be the one who had had the, the slot that, that this uh, first lieutenant uh, at the time, uh, Nick Rowe, had. So he was uh, on an A-team in Vietnam, and then he was captured. And Five Years of Freedom talks about his experience as a POW for five years in Vietnam. And, you know, I don't even know really what to say about the book other than you need to read it. I'm glad I read it before I went to Sears school. It really helped my mind, it helped prepare me mentally and emotionally to, to go through Sears. And he just really explains his his mental state and how he stayed focused and how he held to, to correct principles and how his, um, 
how despite the torture he was put under and the uh, isolation and everything that was done to him, how he was still able to mentally, you know, stay in control and stay in, in capacity. After he was, after he escaped and was rescued, then he uh, was called back into service in the early 80s. And he's the one that helped develop uh, the SEER school that so many of our pilots and, and those in the soft community and other communities in, um, in the U.S. military, they go through. And part of the, uh, part of the experience really was that, that we go through through that school is really based on, on his experience and, you know, phenomenal book. I, uh, I guess with this one, I'll be a little short. I, this book really hit me emotionally, uh, as I read it and really helped prepare me to be, um, mentally stronger. And even though there's a lot of things that you you still have to experience and, you know, you, you need to go through, this really helped prepare me for, for some of those experiences and really helped my mental toughness. So that's a phenomenal book, great book. And I know back when we were attempting to run our, our book club, uh, this was one of the books that we uh, selected and we... Uh, we had a very nice, lively discussion um, on that. Man, I miss that. Just life is just too busy for us to to put all the time and effort in, in running that that book club that we did. But uh, for those of you who joined and you know what we're talking about, that was that was a good time. That was monthly. Then we would meet, have a WebEx uh, meeting. We would try to stay for an hour. <laughs> Sometimes I know I went a, a multiple hours as we discussed the different books. But this is one of the one of the better ones that we did when we read together and then we discussed five years of freedom. All right. Next book. It's on killing. And on killing was written by Colonel Dave Grossman. Again, this is another good book that the reason why I'm here is again to, to suggest and if you haven't read it, to go ahead and read it. And it's a very interesting read. It was uh, definitely academic, and he took a lot of, of inf information, a lot of research to draw some of his conclusions and to talk about uh, the act of killing and how a lot of individuals, uh, when they are in the military or when they are in those situations, um, he goes into some detail as why some are able to pull the trigger and why a lot aren't able to pull the trigger. They also got into... Um, training and preparing people mentally, emotionally, uh, beforehand to actually survive in, in combat and to actually to, to pull the trigger. It's fascinating how uh, some of the things that came out as I read this book is how we traditionally trained people to shoot in the military, and that was with a bullseye you know, bullseye shooting. And it was fairly successful, basically teaching marksmanship, teaching how, how to, to shoot. And one of the conclusions I drew from that is it was very successful up to a point. And that point really came maybe uh, with the baby boomers in the 50s and 60s, where we started to have this cultural shift prior to that, uh, where we taught people how to shoot in the military using bullseyes. Um, People really, at that point, speaking generally, not individually, they understood the circle of life. 
So, you know, where do you get meat? Well, we're going to go butcher a chicken in the backyard. Or we know, you know, we go down to the slaughterhouse or we go down to the meat market where you can see, you know, the carcasses hanging and, and, and things like that. It was part of who we were, speaking generally as a people. But then we had this cultural shift after World War II where we had this great boom in, in, in prosperity. And now you had a generation being raised where, where does meat come from? Well, it comes from the grocery store. So we started to lose this, uh, this understanding of, of the circle of life. But we were teaching people the same way, how to shoot, shooting at bullseyes. And then there was this real spike of, uh, of trauma from experiencing combat. You know, there's always been trauma before, but uh, there is this big spike. And a lot of it could be argued that it was because people hadn't had that kind of an experience. They didn't, they hadn't seen death. They hadn't seen that cow being butchered. They didn't see, uh, you know, that, that, that chicken being butchered. So now for the very first time in their life, even though they've been taught traditionally the same way we've been teaching for a hundred plus years, how to shoot, shooting a bullseyes. Now they were experiencing this trauma because now the first time they've ever experienced anything remotely close to death, they're now in the jungles of Vietnam and they're shooting at a human being. So then the military started to make a shift. So we're, we're now, yeah, there's still some bullseye shooting, but a lot of it is done at, at human shapes, at human silhouettes, at the Ivans or uh, silhouettes, things like this. And that's just, you know, I didn't realize it, but that was by design to start preparing people because we had a cultural shift. So the first time they're actually shooting at a, a human shape to protect themselves, you know, whatever, in, in a fight, in, in combat, um, it's not there. It's they've already experienced that to some degree by shooting at a human silhouette. Anyways, just just a fascinating book, um, very very good book, and I know I shared it once before. I forget when, but man, with this podcast anymore, I I hate to repeat myself because I want to keep stuff fresh. But I also know that with the growth that we have, that a lot of you you're you haven't heard some of the previous stories, but I was still in the 82nd Airborne, sitting at, at at Green Ramp, there at Pope, getting ready to jump. I was already in my chute, and sitting in those those benches. That those of you who who've been there, you know the type of benches I'm talking about. So they have like the different cutouts, so you can actually sit back and lean with the chute on your back and and not be all hunched over. And yeah, I don't know what it's like now, but I knew at the time, in the 82nd, that man, if you're going to be at Green Ramp, you're, you're going to be there for a while. So after you get suited up and you get JMPI'd and you're just waiting for your chalk to get called to, to go out and jump, you could be sitting there for a couple of hours. So I brought a book with me and I actually brought this book on killing. So there I was, Private Ross, waiting for a jump, reading on killing, and then walking by was our, uh, not our battalion, but our brigade commander comes by with his entourage. He's going to be in the jump too. He stops looks at me and, uh, you know, for, for a private to have your, your brigade commander, that that's kind of a, I don't know, intimidating, big deal. I've never talked to this guy. Shoot. I've never talked to, to my battalion commander, let alone, you know, uh, anybody in the battalion staff. So he looked at me, he's like, Hey troop, what are you reading? So I showed him on killing. He's like, Oh, it's a good book, but, and this is very true. He said, but that's all academic. He's never seen a thing. If you want to read something, uh, that's, that's better. Something that's real. Go read with the old breed by Sledgehammer. I'm like, oh, 
Okay. So anyways, I, I just thought it was a funny story. And with the old breed, that is a good book too. Um, and yeah, that's another one. It's not one of the 10, but then that is another good book that, that, you know, I also suggest reading. Uh, I just thought that was funny that he understood it, saw the book, knew that it was a good one. He's glad one of his troops was, was reading it and trying to get an education, but you know, there's a little bit more violence in, in, uh, and with the old breed, but on killing, then also the other one on combat and the other stuff that that Colonel Grossman has done, his academic research is is very good and really helps out with the psychology of of uh, of pulling that trigger and the psychology of people who are in the moment who uh, are able to do some things but then aren't able to do other things. It's it can explain a lot of a lot of behavior. I wish I would have read that before my first um, deployment because I, I know I've shared uh, my first deployment. I've shared you know, some of the some of my experiences there. But the one I know I've shared a couple times was after uh, I pulled the trigger for the first time when I was up in the guard tower and shooting. And then a bunch of the guys in my platoon got up on the wall and some were, were we're looking out wanting to shoot too. And then there are, there are others that weren't. And I mentioned, I know before I saw this, uh, one junior NCO who had enough nerve to get up in the, up on the wall of our fire base. But then he was kind of crouched down in, in the fetal position and he was kind of rocking back and forth and was obviously pretty distressed. Um, I've judged him pretty harshly at that time. Um, but I wish I would have read that book to help understand the psychology of, of, of combat a little bit better and what some people can do and what some people can't do. He used examples of, of how um, some people, and he's talking, again, specifically Revolutionary War, Civil War era with a lot of this research, um, but he was talking about how there were people who they could load. They could load rifles. And one you know example is someone who kept, just kept on loading his, his rifle and had the whole barrel was almost filled with, with balls because he had loaded up, you know, used a ramrod, shove it in there, couldn't pull the trigger, go ahead and, and load another one, which is kind of an autopilot during the fight. He also talked about, you know, again, some people, that's all they can do is load. They weren't capable of, of pulling the trigger. So they would load and hand it to somebody who then was capable. So that person who emotionally and mentally could pull the trigger would do it. And then, you know, wait for him to, to hand him a gun. Also, some of these, um, skirmishes are when the troops would be in formation marching together and then they all would start to shoot how um in some instances both sides were unwilling to shoot or actually point the gun at at the people in front of them so they would be shooting but it'd be slightly angled up so all the the ball all the rounds and were going over their heads just interesting and from an academic standpoint uh, very worthwhile to, to read this next one that I think is phenomenal and actually I didn't physically read this book. All these other books that I've talked about in the next couple that I will talk about after this, um, I have read physically, but this one I hadn't. This one uh, I actually um, was an auto book. I drive so much and I travel so much that uh, it's hard sometimes, like I mentioned at the very beginning of this particular episode, to actually get in front of a book and, and read. So this one I was, out of all these, was the only one that I actually listened to. And that is, the book is called Get in the Van. Now, I know my audience, and I know the vast majority of you are like, what? 
But then as soon as I say that name, get in the van. I know there's some of you, you uh, old school uh, punk rockers, kind of like, you know, similar to me. You're like, oh, no way. Yeah, so get in the van is a biography uh, memoir by Henry Rollins. And he kept a journal. And this is his journal with his time as uh, the front man for the punk band Black Flag. And it's just entertaining from beginning to end. Now, me, uh, as a kid, listening to, to that punk music, listening to Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, The Misfits, um, and the, the gambit of, uh, of those bands, Black Flag, they definitely, for that time, late 70s, early 80s, they were, they were a bit more hardcore, not in like sound-wise, but just you know, like... Like the poet says, uh, Jack Black, you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore. And these guys really, really lived the life. You know, the Misfits, love those guys. But, you know, Jerry Only and, uh, and Doyle, they were jocks. They, they played football. They worked with, from their dad's machine shop. And, you know, they had money that financed everything, um, as an example. So there's a lot of bands out there, the punk bands. But they all, you know, they lived the life. And it was kind of an image that they portrayed. But not like Black Flag. They, they lived it. They lived it, and it's just a good day-by-day, very entertaining um, breakdown of highs and lows and uh, struggles, accomplishments, just completely 100% honest, uh, all through the eyes of, of, of Henry Rollins. And I'd suggest this book to, to anybody. It's a very good read. Even if you've never listened to, and nor do you need to listen to, to black flag or need to listen to any kind of a punk rock, whatever, just as a human being and experiencing life and living life. It's just a, a great book. Very, very entertaining. And like I said, very honest in his thoughts and his feelings and, and where he's at. And yeah, that that's a good one. So some of the highlights, at least for me in that book was, uh, how I knew they were friends, but but I didn't know. Uh, how he and uh, Ian, Ian, how everyone pronounces his name, Ian McKay uh, from Discord and from uh, Minor Threat and Fugazi, how those two were, were best friends and kids growing up just outside of D.C. And how they, you know, they, they worked at Haagen-Dazs, if I get that right. Yeah, they, they worked at a at an ice cream shop together and how they did everything together and how they were getting into to the punk scene, starting their, their bands. And again, if you don't like that music, which is fine, um, really it's that independent, do-it-yourself, work-hard uh, attitude that uh, really, it, for me, is re- really appealing. And then it was with encouragement uh, from Ian McKay that... Henry uh, tried out for it and then and hooked up with with Black Flag and then you know took it from there and it's that was pretty cool that was interesting there's just a lot of, of interesting stuff in there just you know, getting assaulted getting beat up um, on the road dealing with all kinds of hardships uh, having all kinds of like I said earlier successes just it's just a good read really yeah good book very entertaining all right. All right, the next book really isn't a book, but it's a series of book books by Louis L'Amour uh, called The Sackets. And it's a 
I forget how many books. I don't know, 20 some books. And if you're not familiar with Louis L'Amour and his writing, he's uh, basically a pulp Western writer. So some of his books are very, very simple and um, very quick reads. And then as the older he got, his books started. You can definitely see a change where he started. Uh, the books were getting longer and and a little bit more uh, intellectual, I guess, is, is one way to put it. But the whole series is is very enjoyable to read. And it basically follows the chronology of this fictitious family who came over to the Americas from England um, prior to the colonies being established and then going up through following the family up through um, basically the, the end of the Old West. And one of the main things I like about these books and, and I've, again, I've read these things for, for decades. Um, they're great when I was deployed. Quick reads, entertainment is one of the reasons, main reasons why I like them is because it showed life struggle, but then it showed the, the desire to better oneself, to always seek to improve, seek to improve your education, seek to improve uh, your, your skills, your abilities, uh, work to improve the land, work to improve your, your property. And just this drive to to better oneself, I really, really, uh, you know, appreciated that, and tried to, you know, it influenced me to try to always be working to to do a little bit better, to work a little bit harder, to um, educate myself a little bit more. And it's just they're just a fun series of books that, again, it's it's not these books, unlike say on killing or or even get in the van, is a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, not intellectual, but you need a little bit bigger vocabulary <laughs> to read, get in the van than these Sackett books. But still, even though they're, they're simple books, just the ideas and the principles and, uh, and the struggle that they demonstrate, uh, is, is great, great to read, you know, to learn from and to be reinforced. So, and even if you have, uh, you know, children or, or youth teens, um, these are definitely some good books for, for them to, to be exposed to in, in these ideas that, you know, nothing in life is free. You got to work for it. Life sometimes a struggle and sometimes, you know, you're dealt bad hands. Everything can go wrong despite, um, you trying to do everything right. And, you know, you still need to, to put that next foot forward and keep on, keep on working. Anyways, I really enjoy them. So if you haven't read these books, the Sackett books. You could really start anywhere. Everyone is independent. The only one I would suggest don't read first is the one that's called uh, the Sackett brand. Don't, yeah, don't read that one first. Uh, read some of the other ones and then, then you can get into that one. That's, yeah, you'll appreciate that book more if you've read some of the other ones first. All right, I hope, I hope that so far you've been enjoying this podcast. I'm talking about some of these books and uh, suggesting them to you. So to quick review, the books that I've talked about, and again, this is probably not even the order that I, I talked about them, was Starship Troopers, and I threw in Moon as a Harsh Mistress, uh, The Sackett Family, or the Sackett series of books, 5,000-Year Leap, The Proper Role of Government, Five Years to Freedom, Get in the Van, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, On Killing, The Real George Washington, and then the last one, 
which this is the only one that I, I would say is the most important one. And the last book that I highly recommend is getting into the scriptures, getting into the word of God. I am convinced that one of the reasons why our nation has seen a moral decline and we have so many of the problems that we have is because we have gone away from understanding and from reading as a nation uh, the scriptures. One could argue that at one point the national book was was the Bible. And it's got nothing to do with whether you believe in God or not believe in God, whatever, if you're religious, anti-religious, whatever, that, that's not even the point. The point is that we, with our national identity, at one point, we all understood, we all had reference to, we all read the Bible, which is the basis of our judicial system. The Ten Commandments is the basis of our judicial system. Um, so much of our of our sayings, of our slang, of, of our communication, of our of of everything that we do with with our language comes from and is based on the Bible. We could all, well, again, whether you believed or didn't believe, we could all uh, agree that you know, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. You know, love your neighbor. Uh, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't bear you know bear false witness. Murder is bad. All these things we understood as a as a common people, and we were unified by them. Were we perfect as a country? Absolutely not. But the ideals and the principles taught in the Bible pointed us towards improvement and pointed us towards you know correcting those those problems we had collectively as a nation. And with that common ground, then we didn't have nearly the, the contention or the problems or, you know, or, or, or whatever. Not like what we're seeing today with just a decay in our moral fabric. So if you haven't picked up the Bible recently, or maybe not at all, then I highly recommend that you do. You will be better because of it. Again, it doesn't matter if you believe or you don't believe. I personally, I, I believe. And I would suggest, you know, start in uh, in the New Testament. Start reading uh, in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, another good place to start is start at the beginning, start in Genesis. If you if you aren't Christian or have no desire to be Christian, uh, you can just, just read the Old Testament. Read Psalms. There's so much wisdom in the Psalms. Just that as you read it, you'll, you'll be amazed. Oh, oh yeah, I've, I've heard that before. Oh, I've heard that before. I've, I've, I've heard that before. Yes, it's because that wisdom, um, those words, those truths were part of the fabric of everyday society here in, uh, in the United States. And we need to, you need to uh, go back and get a, a daily dose of, of that wisdom. You need to get a daily dose of, of, of that truth. You'll be a happier person because of it. You're still going to have the same struggles. You're still going to have the same problems. You're still going to, you know, life is still going to be happening, but that will help lift you up and it will, uh, it will give you 
kernels of wisdom. More wisdom than you, you currently have. I, uh, I, I can't, for my own personal life, I, I can't emphasize that enough. We need to get back to, to reading the scriptures. And that is, that is the most important book for you to read. And I, uh, I do it every day. And shoot, I'm a knucklehead. <laughs> I need to do it. Um, I need that strength. I need that course correction. You know, we, I named this company Lodestone, the original compasses. It, it's symbolic of, you know, leading you and guiding you on that path. And I can say without a doubt that reading those scriptures, that has helped me uh, with my inner moral compass and has led me what I feel is, you know, the, the right way. Do I make mistakes? Heck yeah. Is life hard? Heck yeah, shoot, it's harder now in a lot of ways than it's ever been. But it's easier to function, easier for me to deal with, easier for me to come up with solutions when I immerse myself in the scriptures. So, with that said, I hope you guys enjoyed this. You uh, certainly got a little uh, aspect of of me and, and where my, my brain's at and things that have influenced me and, you know, everything from, from cheap pulp Westerns to science fiction to principles of business and leadership with you know, Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People to, you know, Henry Rollins and Black Flag. So this is the guy, me, I've listened to Black Flag, shoot, the very first song that I ever learned how to play and it was a painful couple of weeks having no lessons no nothing me trying to figure it out and that's a black flag song called rise above I drove my parents crazy trying to to figure out how to play that song and I'm the same guy who can honestly tell you man I don't go a day without reading the scriptures and I highly recommend you do the same all right that's uh about an hour I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you listening. And man, I just can't tell you how much I do appreciate you and the feedback that we get. It's a joy. It's a privilege to do this podcast. It's a joy and privilege to sweat with you guys running around out on the range and pushing yourselves. It's, it's almost overwhelming sometimes. Really appreciate you guys. And y'all stay safe. I'll talk to you next time. Society's on.
Rise above, rise above, rise above, we're gonna 